Welcome to Cyburns and Cigarettes, a loop on the third podcast, a podcast about a monkey-faced thief, his friends, and their many adventures. Um, uh, we are covering all the animated and live-action entries in the loop on the third franchise, in mostly chronological order. Um, and uh, this is a podcast where uh, the host of the show occasionally doesn't press the most important button you're supposed to press while we, you know, recording an episode. <laughs> which is what has happened tonight. So uh, this is a uh, a very special episode of Cyber and Cigarettes because not only <laughs> did I fuck up the past thirty minutes of conversation, we also have a new guest this week. <laughs> um, you may know her from her review on YouTube of Lupin the Third, the first Shannon Strucci. Welcome to the show, Shannon. I'm excited Damn. to be here. I love talking about Lupin too much. It's a problem. um and as i mentioned earlier before you press record (laughs) um i had a lovely conversation with shannon yesterday and i know i'm going to be releasing that after this episode so real quick shannon do refresh us on how you got into lupon um i watched the genion dub probably starting in 2003 i would tape it I would like set my VCR to record it and then go to sleep and wake up at like 7 a.m. and watch it before middle school. Um, I'm around 30 now. It's very weird to talk about stuff this long ago. And I uh, probably a couple of years later, I got the first volume of the manga and didn't care for it because I was a middle schooler and it was very inappropriate for me to be looking at it. Saw Mama, saw Cagliostro, saw Dead or Alive and Strange Psychokinetic Strategy. I watched the Conan special when it came out. And I didn't really keep up with stuff for a long time, although I still really liked Lupin and we'll watch part two episodes. I cosplayed Lupin like three times around 2010 and then in quarantine i just got completely obsessed with it i kind of i got really back into it caught up with everything especially like the one called fujiko mine and part four really like those like the koike stuff and i had a group of friends i would watch episodes with over zoom and we all kind of got into it together and it was really fun when i couldn't see people in person and now i just can't stop thinking about it so it's been it's fun to have a chance to like talk about it and not just like randomly tweet stuff so, like people follow me because I did uh, like documentary style serious educational video essays and I'm just like shit posting about Lupin and people really don't like it but I can't stop so. <laughs> doing the Lord's work mm-hmm. God bless you my child Thank you. Thank you. hold on I'm the minister here I'm supposed to say that <laughs> you you officiate weddings honey you don't do you don't do baptisms well not yet nobody's asked me to Anyway, <laughs> so this is um, our reaction series to Lupin the Third Part Six, Tea Time, and we have finally gotten back to the main story. But the question is, at what cost? So to kick us to, to, to uh, kick our conversation off, Shannon, how did you feel about uh, this week's episode? I said this before. This episode made my head hurt. <laughs> I really didn't <laughs> like it. Um. It was a lot of it was you spend all this time building up this story like Sherlock Holmes really hates Lupin. I had just rewatched the first episode where he's like Lupin. He's like so mad that he's back Um, and they have a rivalry and it's like building, building, building. And then you find out, no, he knew all the time Lupin didn't do it. It's like, is he a hero or is he a villain? Did he do something that he regrets? No, he'd never. He just stood there and nothing really happened. And they're not actually rivals. And maybe the Raven's not actually that scary because we're bringing Moriarty up seven episodes into the series. If he's like the big bad, why wait this long to introduce him? 
And it's also, it's like the other side of it, why a lot of other people were upset, it's like being a big Zenigata fan. You have what it looks like a spotlight episode for him. And these really cute interactions with him and Lupin and sort of like their like camaraderie. But then it's like, oh, because he was badass, of course that could naturally be this character. That's like one of the core essential casts that everybody loves. It's like, no, it was the new guy who's such a cool dude that he can beat Goemon. And it's like a a 13-year-old's like OC. He could beat Goemon and he can beat Jigen. And Fujiko likes him a lot. And he's cooler than Zenigata. And he and Lupin are friends. And it's like, okay. That's my like very visceral negative reaction to it. It was just sort of deflated all the tension. Introduces a different bad guy with no reason to care about it, you know. And there's no point to any of the buildup. And it insulted one of the beloved characters from the show. So that was my reaction to it. So, Chris, how did you feel about it? Yes, dear. I thought it was all right. Like, it, I mean, my opinion hasn't changed over the last few minutes. Um, <laughs> since the last time you asked me. But uh, for those of us who, did, who weren't able to hear that, which is probably everybody listening to this, um, yeah, I mean, like I said, I thought it was okay. It, you know, very exposition heavy. Not a whole lot. We don't actually see a whole lot happening. You know, animations was kind of wonky. A lot of still shots with just mouths moving. That bit in the tunnel with Lupin's hand wavering as he's pointing his Walther at this assassin. It just looked really strange, like a flash animation being tweened or something. I mean, I didn't have a problem with, you know, Pops drinking and getting plastered because... That's kind of a consistent thing with his characters. Like, he hits a roadblock, he hits the bar. You know, we see it, uh, like, Tokyo Crisis, for example, when he gets, uh, you know, taken off the case. He's also pretty slush in Cagliostro, you know, when Fujiko calls him. But, but yeah, I, I do understand, though, that people being upset that Zenigata wasn't nearly as cool in this episode as he appeared to be, because he turns out it was Sherlock Holmes. But I guess, I guess like the episode was necessary, though, to kind of move the story along, even though it's kind of doing that part five thing where it's been, it was like advertised as being one thing, and now that one thing is already over. Mm-hmm. And we still got the rest of the series to go. Mm-hmm. So, Natalie, how did you feel about the episode? Well, I wasn't as viscerally upset as a lot of people. I understand why people were viscerally upset. And I'm here to validate that, not invalidate it. Um, But Shannon hit all the right points because I didn't think about it until she mentioned it the first time when we didn't press record. Um, A lot of it does does come down to the storytelling. And like I mentioned also, you get you build up. And you advertise Lupin versus Sherlock. You know, this whole big tension is Lupin a hero, is Lupin a villain. And you give us like four episodes of filler and then this hot garbage, um, you know, conclusion to the Lupin versus Sherlock Holmes. And, you know, again, to add to what Shannon said, Sherlock is a 13 year old's OC. And it's just, you know, and we talked about this earlier, like, OG Sherlock Holmes is not a nice fellow, let alone mm-hmm. he is not that great. Yes, he's a great master sleuth. He's a good deducer, but he's not that he's not that amazing to the point where he could defeat a samurai who's trained for God knows how long and a master gunman and can make a femme fatale blush. Oh my God. But but yeah, I get everyone's ire, especially if you're a Zenigata fan, that I do understand. 
Zenigata has been reduced to way less and worse in other adaptations. But in this one, I do sense like the why because of the whole, oh, I didn't realize you were a badass, Pops. Really? How long have you known this guy? This guy is way, ba- way more badass than you've ever anticipated. And that's supposed to give us a way that, oh, it's actually Sherlock, not Zenigata. But, and also to reference our first episode of Tea Time, I was hoping it wasn't going to be Moriarty, but it is Moriarty. So I called it. Go ahead, give me all the money because I win. <laughs> but <laughs> sorry, don't mean to go cray cray. But yeah, like I, I, I wasn't as upset. I wasn't as viscerally upset, but I understand why. And now seven episodes in, we're concluding what we're advertising it on, and now we're gonna go to more episodes. It's just like meh. Mm. How about you, Drew? For the second ah. time, <laughs> well, like I said the first time. Um, uh, I said that as if they heard it. Um, the advertising for this, in <laughs> retrospect, kind of sucked. Like, I, I, I'm not going to blame like the advertise whoever was responsible. Like, I guess they only had like some, you know, materials and like little bits to choose from, but they really hyped up the Lupin versus Sherlock thing, the Lupin, the Raven, the like, did he kill Watson? What's going on? And it's just done already and um you know chris said something when he started saying like you know his opinion hadn't changed in the 13 minutes we recorded but it's it's kind of odd for me to say but when shannon brought up points previously in the past 13 minutes my opinion has like just kind of because i came to realization because she mentioned that like you know sherlock's so perfect he beats everyone he's so he's so wholesome look at like you know look at how well he treats watson's kid look at how much everybody loves him and i came to that horrible realization that he's like one of the one-off girls from the tv special who's so angelic and perfect and aren't they so important Mm -hmm. and shoot me based 90 minutes around their entirety of their backstory and that's his character in the season so far. And I I don't like that. I uh, Especially in the beginning. Because um, uh, I know Zendigata got some disrespect. Because like, when I first watched it, I, I had mentioned like, you know, I, I had seen the reaction to it. And I was like, oh, but my, my expectations tanked. I watched it and kind of liked it. You get that little bit like, you know, you get the little defensiveness. Like, you know, it's not that bad. And then the second time I watched it, you just kind of like, yeah, it. it it's okay. But then when I rewatched it again tonight, like I wasn't as bugged as the moment when, when, when Zinigata, like the, the behind the two tombstones, Zinigata charges and Lupin's like, you know, but why are you suddenly such a badass? Lupin would talk shit to Zinigata. It's when Sherlock oh, yeah. takes the mask off and he's like, well, I knew Pop mm-hmm. wasn't that much of a badass. You're like, oh, okay, hold on. Ouch. Wait a minute. <laughs> that i'm not buying as much like like, like that uh, and also in the beginning when uh when lupin and jegan are on the boat and you get the really cute part one jegan costume that i did like that's a nice little callback but um when they mentioned like he's like where's going mine it's like oh he's probably sulking because sure like whooped his ass you're just kind of like yeah. all right and now going on i mean the entirety of Goemon's blood spray is him getting beaten by a lumberjack and sulking about it. But yeah, like, so <laughs> there is precedent for it, but it just, I don't know if it makes any sense. It kind of lends towards that whole, like, Sherlock is this unbeatable, like, you know, Sherlock is the OC right now. And I'm not, 
I'm not I'm not thrilled with it. I mean, at this point, I've come to terms with like the series is not what I thought it was going to be. And I'm just, I'll roll with whatever happens, especially now that we know the second half is going to be like something completely different. Maybe that can be cooler and, and better. And maybe by some miracle, they can stick the landing and do something cool with this. Like not, all hope's not lost. I'm not going to like jump ship. Cause there could be some like really fun, good stuff, but I don't know. It's as, as Chris mentioned, this was a necessary episode. It's a bit messy. It's a lot of what I don't like about Lupin, where it's two characters sitting down talking about something that you're know, talking, you know, talking about how this thing's really interesting. You should really care about it. Isn't this cool? And you're like, yeah, it'd be a whole lot. That's cooler. not all a goodbye partner was just sitting around pianos. I was like, what oh, is right, this? right. <laughs> this is terrible. Yeah. Yep. It's that same problem. Yep. With less oh. CGI hands. God, that was. Fucking, uh, oh, I'll never forget the first time I watched that because I watched it with no subtitles because I just wanted to see how it was. I'm like, man, this seems pretty decent. And then those hands just like swoop into frame and start. <laughs> uncanny. Uncanny. Uh, uncanny like noodles. Just. I, I, I don't like it. I, I don't know. Uncanny noodles. Good name for a rock band. <laughs> You're not wrong. Right. But no, I didn't hate this episode, but this is my least favorite so far because it's kind of tanked. It's tanked what it was hyped up to be. Maybe if they had, I don't know, balanced the advertising, if, if they if that was even possible. But like they really hyped up this thing and now it's just done. So that's a whole lot of words to say. It was meh. It was bad. I think too with like Zenigata being a loser. One of my favorite part two episodes is uh, episode sixty nine, the one with Laura, and like he he is kind of a dorky loser, and he's awkward, but he's so sincere that it's endearing, and you can tell like even when he's kind of like goofy, like in the scene where he's about to kiss her, it's played for laughs, but then you feel so bad when she dies and stuff. Spoilers for his part two episode that everybody's seen already because it's like one of the classic ones, but it's like there's like. You can have a character who's the butt of a joke, but there's still like love for the character or interesting things that he does. It's not just like, ha, he sucks. Same thing with like you said with Goemon. Oh, Goemon's sulking. It's like, what? Why? This is a 50-year-old franchise. I don't know. Like, do something interesting. And I, I hope something crazy happens. Like Sherlock Holmes is actually Moriarty and he's evil and he's Jekyll and Hyde or something. Because that'll be more in line with the franchise. Yeah. <laughs> just something crazy that like that. I will add that to the board. <laughs> Um, I should probably, add that to the conspiracy board. I should probably let yeah. Shannon know. We have a, a conspiracy board. Oh, you got like a Pepe Sylvia board? Yes. <laughs> That's exactly what Natalie's been referring to it as. But, um, oh, yeah. the It's always sunny in Philadelphia board. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. It, it kind of started and has snowballed horrendously. Um, it kickstarted with us trying to figure out who, you know, who killed Watson. There's this whole thing being built up. And... The, the key points of work were Chris had jokingly brought up that what if Lily was the one who shot Sherlock and I had brought up <laughs> obviously you know no 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 child of their own volition is going to murder their father father in cold blood with a revolver so obviously there has to be someone pulling the strings and who else in the Lupine franchise is but the master string puller but you know Mamo but the thing the problem with Mamo is you know if we're gonna go in canon he's dead so we would assume that Kiyosuke Mamo would you know assist so mamo would send mamo back in time to convince lily to mm-hmm. um uh to murder watson 
would use the the little hypnotizing doll from that terribly anti-Semitic part two episode, the Mephistopheles one, the little doll that hypnotizes Lily. Oh, that back to hypnotize no, Lily. no, we don't talk about it. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Let me know. Uh, don't forget about the dickheads. Oh, the dick. Oh, yeah. Boy, and so this whole venture boy, will be bankrupt. This whole venture would be bankrupt. I'm so sorry that I'm throwing you headfirst into this, but this whole venture <laughs> would be bankrolled by the dickheads, who are the villains from episodes um, six, seven, and eight of part one, who I had linked all together as the dickhead brothers because they all have vaguely phallic heads. And I can. Mm-hmm. Th- 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 <laughs> as a lot of Lupin characters do. For some I reason. know. <laughs> And this whiteboard isn't even real. This is just us throwing conspiracy theories because, again, going back to what we talked about in, in the... In it's the, real to me, damn it. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I broke your imaginary friend. But you should be. <laughs> but we were talking about that because keep in mind, this is what they advertised on. They advertised on... Is Lupin a hero? Again, Lupin, hero villain who killed Watson? What is the Raven Lupin versus Sherlock Holmes, which gave us a lot of time to, yes, while this is like bullshit conspiracy, we were thinking, what is the bigger mystery? This is, this is compelling story, um, storytelling, this trope of this, um, this secret organization in Britain is pulling all the strings and they're more powerful than the queen or parliament it's an old trope. Go ahead, use it. It's Lupin. Make it conspiracy. Make it interesting. And you're just going to amount it to, no, we're not, they're not the bigger villains. Moriarty is. And it's like, well, that, no, like, I have buyer's remorse right now. And I normally don't have buyer's remorse with, with Lupin because I'm just so glad we're getting new stuff. But now, now I feel the ire. And it's making me a sad panda, and I hate it. I mean, like, I think it's something that kind of bugged me about this episode is that it was really predictable. I think, like, you know, like in our in our first episode of Tea Time, we all pretty much came to the conclusion that someone else shot Watson, then Lupin showed up, and then Lily saw Lupin over her father's dead body. Mm-hmm. It's like we had this all figured out a month and a half ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I was I was expecting you know something that you know everybody didn't already come up with mm-hmm. and like and what they're still using or real fast that promo image where like half of his lupon's face is all creepy like the jekyll mm-hmm. and hyde thing is still be- and what i guess it didn't mean anything i don't know maybe it'll come into play later i i, I hope it does because like that was such a cool hook like when they threw out that teaser poster i was like all right like this is gonna like take even some bigger swings than like part five did. So like, okay, I'm here for it. And then it's not that I've kind of, I've really enjoyed the last four episodes more than I have the main plot of this series so far. Like I, I enjoyed the one-offs. My favorite episode is that Hemingway episode, because that was very much in line with Lupin with like his characterization. Cause of course for shits and giggles, he would completely stage Ernest Hemingway's the killers mm-hmm. and then do a TV special length, <laughs> exposition dump in the last two minutes just to get some <laughs> short story titles in but like that mm-hmm. that was fun this just felt like i don't know this felt like a tv special long exposition dump for 24 minutes if that makes any sense 
they, they they've teased some cool stuff. Like it, it, I got kind of excited because like they they did the whole history of the Raven and they like showed like oh like it's connected to all this to Princess Diana and you're like getting to like they hint at like the nutty Lupin territory. But then in the exact same episode they're like, but this professor guy, he's the real deal, and you're just like, all he has is a man with an airsoft gun so far. Why should I care? I don't care at all. You say the professor, and I'm supposed to leave, I'm supposed to give a shit. I don't know. It, yeah. Mm. That's my that that's my take for this episode. Is just mm. 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 <laughs> it's just eh. it, it was it was perfectly it, it it was fine. But the thing is, I don't want Lupin to just be fine. If that makes any sense. Like I want I want fun Lupin again. And I had that same issue with part five, especially like, especially in the second half of part five and like, in the, like the last few arcs, like I, I miss, I miss what the Koike films are doing right now. If that, Agreed. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's what Koike Zine, Zine, like, it might be the best thing I've ever seen, or it might be the worst thing I've ever seen. It might be terribly <laughs> offensive or weird. It'll be, I'm not, it's not going to be predictable. It's not going to be boring. It's not going to be... It, it's like he has such a love for the characters that he's referenced in his other works and he's like been kind of obsessive about it, you know? And even if I think some of what he does is gross or off-putting, I'm still mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm going to see it day one that I can see it. I'm so excited about it. Instead of being like, well, okay. Lupin's a hero again. He doesn't really do anything weird or interesting. Which is the only reason that I'm so obsessed with this franchise is because it's weird and interesting. Mm-hmm. Going back to the weird and interesting, I find it funny that like in the exposition dump, part, um, when they talk about the Raven's influence and they show like they show Margaret Thatcher, they show um, they what I'm assuming to be um, Bloody Sunday, you know, the North, the the troubles with Northern Ireland, which Chris will love to reference with the Cranberry song. <laughs> um, but also um, <laughs> Chris is giving me that look. But also um, I find it funny that. The Raven was responsible for that loving conspiracy theory of, you know, killing off Princess Diana. <laughs> it's like, oh, we've turned into the Alphiads now in, in this, I see. But at the same time, no, you're right. Like, why should I care about Moriarty? Why should I care about the about him as a villain? He is like what they were hyping up with the Raven was 20 times more interesting than this conclusion of this asshole colonel with an airsoft gun like oh the professor's got way more big things in store me i don't care i'm like johnny dip willy wonka i i don't care like Mariah why should a, i care he's a character from sherlock stuff but i don't remember i think he's just like a mercenary that worked with moriarty sebastian moran he's not i don't think he's even gonna be in any more episodes he just jumped off the cliff after he fired his airsoft rifle at some, but, some graves. But no, you're right. <laughs> it, it, if, if, unless you've read the Sherlock Holmes novels, I don't think they've ever really mentioned Moran in other, like in radio dramas or in plays or even um, other adaptations. So yeah, if you've read the Sherlock novels, you'll know Colonel Moran. Um, so that was, you know, as someone who's a literature dork, nice reference. Um, but even then, it's like, I was hoping they wouldn't use Moriarty, but at the same time, I kind of knew they would because it's kind of... Um, it's kind of predictable at this point. You got Sherlock, you got Moriarty, even though Moriarty was only a one-sided villain. So Arthur Conan Doyle could kill him off because he was tired of writing Sherlock Holmes. And as Chris and I joked about, like, you know, backed by popular harassment, not only were the people angry, Sherlock Holmes, I mean, 
Conan Doyle's own mother was angry. Like, yeah. like you little shit, what the hell? <laughs> I think it was, uh, I was talking to, I think it was Cleon from S9 Lupin. I might be mis- misattributing this, but we, we were talking about like, what if Lupin had been Moriarty 10 years ago and had had like a, it's like that, or like, what if it was this or what if it was that? And what if, and it's like all of the stuff in our imagination Mm-hmm. was more compelling than anything which side i would rather want like i said with the koike stuff i wouldn't have thought of anything in those <laughs> movies you know oh no those those movies go from zero to a hundred like that in terms of like <laughs> the these out of these really out there villains and their their compelling story story backstories and of course like just the shenanigans they get the the gang into as weird and as eccentric and as um terrible as they are they are far more compelling to Mm -hmm. this um i hate to say it to this poop on the platter storyline that we're getting again i enjoyed the fillers more than i'm enjoying the core storyline and that's saying a lot that's the thing about the koike films you know one moment you're sitting there trying to give your girl a massage the next moment a giant cowboy just bursts through the window plants his motorcycle into the wall and just Challenges you to a duel. I mean, I mean, you know, we've all been there, right? Is <laughs> this a typical Thursday here in the Bay Area? Same, same with um the the robot dildo dick that I've seen. I've seen worse shit at bondage oh. parties in San Francisco, and they were oh, consensual. The so people do that. The Freud bot, as I call it. Wait, the what bot, Chris? The Freud bot. Oh. <laughs> It's just, uh, it's just, I don't know where else can, like, where else can the story go from here? Like, yes, we're getting a Jigen episode. Thank God. And again, and, 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 and what I find interesting about that reveal for the Jigen episode was like Lupin kept his eyes on Lily this whole time. I thought he wasn't allowed to be in England. Well, that just, that just retcon everything. Yeah, that is kind of weird, isn't it? But th- th- that was the only moment where, like, I perked up in my seat where I'm just kind of like, oh, God, something, like, different. I died, like, something I didn't expect happened. All right. And it was in the the last 30 seconds of the episode, which I don't know. I don't know. That, that doesn't speak much for the quality of the episode as a whole. That Like, the, the, the post-credits tease. I just don't want it to become, like, you know, a current stage MCU thing where the most interesting thing is, you know, mm-hmm. the last one minute of... Uh, mm-hmm. the, of what you're watching. I think I'm actively becoming disillusioned with part six in real time on this episode. I'm trying to, I, 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 I'm still looking forward to it, especially the second half, but like, where can you go with this from here? Unless they do something incredibly like nuts and fun, which may be, but like, it's going to be interesting to see. And I, I'm, 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 I'll, I'll roll with it. It's fine. I'm not going to drop it. It's going to take a lot. For me to drop it, they're gonna have to pull some Return to Pycal, Princess of the Breeze shit for me to like even consider dropping it. But it's it's just I I loved part four. I have major issues with part five, and I think a lot of us do. This I have less issues with part five so far, but it's just I'm I don't know mainline Lupin. I I want it to be more than just that was okay, that was fine. Like 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 when the Lupin like in your head is more exciting than the one you actually watch. Mm-hmm. I don't know. 
join the dark side of fan fiction writers drew trust me i've been doing it for 18 years now just just come just come and join us come play with us drew <laughs> hey you've seen the outlines i've got in the old oh no wait that server's gone shit well good thing i remember oh, i i hope you, yeah i hope you do i will yeah, be happy the google docs is in the cloud keep it in the cloud <laughs> I mean, again, I've written com- I've written far more compelling story storylines for Lupin in my fan fiction, and a lot of it is just me getting stoned on a Thursday night, thinking, "What if I redid a Phantom of the Opera storyline with Lupin the Third, but the Phantom is a burn victim and is actually a mechanical engineer, and the and the non consensual aspect of the relationship is told online? That's brilliant." Fucking write that shit. <laughs> don't don't do drugs, children. <laughs> I don't know, I'm getting mixed signals here. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, it's just uh, for once we're just like on this point of like really really this is it and we're all ups- we're all sad now. Ah, uh, this yeah, is a kinda- tone. This is a totally different episode. It's, it's kind of weird that I'm more excited for, like, whatever the second half of the series is with, like, that teaser poster with, like, all the mysterious women from his past. I'm just at that point where I'm kind of like, well, this sounds more interesting now. Let's, uh, but, and, I'm, uh, um, I wouldn't have mentioned this unless they, I wasn't going to mention this until they responded to my tweet. Uh, uh, Zoid the 9000 on Twitter, who is the official translator for this series, had put out this really cryptic tweet saying, like, like you, you guys are in for a fucking ride this January. And I just sent a gif of part one of part one Lupin, like with the, the binoculars smiling and they responded with the mm-hmm. winking part four Lupin. And now I'm just kind of like, all right, so are we, are we going to get like crazy in the back half of this? I I, I, hope, I so. hope so, because I don't want this to be something I like dislike more than part five. And I'm kind of worried that could possibly happen at this point. I'm glad y'all are also part five haters. Because people don't like it. I really did not. I had a, like a visceral negative reaction to part five. Because I watched one, four, and five all for the first time like last year. This year. I really liked one. I really liked four. I had problems with four. But I mean, it's, the side characters are so fun. And it feels like, you know, even though Da Vinci's kind of boring. And some of it doesn't work. And I watched five. And I was like, oh, there's a 14-year-old girl trying to have sex. What is this? I was just like, what is it? Drones? Is it like trying to be relevant? And I hated it. And But there are things... At least parts of that were more intelligently written than what we're yeah. getting. Even though what this is less offensive. There was so much in part five I thought was very offensive. Also, the girl who's like a princess of a country falling in love with the CIA adult man. Weird, oh yeah, weird, weird. Uh, like several levels of like offensive and in a, like inappropriate. Nothing like that Ugh. in part six, but it's just boring. Um, yeah. It's funny for me. Part five, I kind of have a little bit of a soft spot for part five in two ways. Number one, I see it with all like the Easter eggs that only if you're a true Lupin fan, you would recognize like, I kind of equate it to um, the recent revival of um, Carmen Sandiego on Netflix where they have the Easter eggs. And if you've played the games and you've watched the series, you can spot them. But the series is still hot garbage. Like that's what I feel about part five. But also I have a soft spot for it because I didn't watch it as it was in you know as the episodes were coming out weekly i watched it while i was while i was in the hospital recovering from pancreatitis like the whole week i was Mm -hmm. admitted i was like i have nothing else to do and i have my phone oh the wi-fi is good in the hospital i guess i will watch part five but kind of like this in retrospect when i think about part five 
I get that what they were trying to do with making Lupin stay relevant, but it was a lot of levels of, yes, a lot of levels of inappropriateness, a lot of levels of, um, in, of insensitivity. And then Enzo as a villain. And then in the last two seconds, Enzo gets a redemption arc. No, Mark Zuckerberg as a father does not need a redemption arc. He like, sucked. fuck He's this also shit. Boring. Yes. Who cares? Who cares? Well, that's Rogue's Gallery is terrible. That's one of the biggest weaknesses of the franchise. It's a lot of bad yeah. villains, especially recent stuff. Mm-hmm. To me, I like Hawk though. Hawk's amazing. Hawk's the best. Yeah, give oh, yeah. me give me more more villains that are very much out there and niche than the villains we've gotten in the past 10, 15 years. Like, I when we when Guillaume and I did the first episode, and we were talking about War Lambert and um. Geralt good villains and you know Guillaume was like well they're better than half of the villains we got in the last specials I'm like oh yeah you have a point the lowest possible bar yeah (laughs) well if we're airing out our opinions about part five those fillers were great yes I I would love a whole series of nothing like no overarching storyline just you know, just 26 one-offs like that. I mean, and like they weren't all great, but you know, this is kind of what I wanted from the series anyway. And I mean, I thought like the whole arc with the Lupin gang or Lupin game, sorry. I thought that was fun. I, I liked it. And uh, yeah, the whole story, Albert, I thought was, I enjoyed it as well. And then you got to the, uh, how to steal a kingdom thing. And it just dropped off for me from there. Yeah, that was bad. Yeah, but also, um, you did like the other you you like you enjoyed the manga shoutouts. I mean, remember we were talking about when they dubbed oh. it like Union Mama and all them. Okay, well, see, that was part of that first story arc that I mentioned. You know, the killers gather in the wasteland, and yeah, I like both when I watched it stud and when I watched it on Toonami, I was just like, oh my god, it's King. There's Union Mama, well, more of a Union Milf, the flea, uh, and then you know when we see Doctor Franken walking his zombie dog, I. Yeah, I totally flipped out because that's one of my favorite chapters from the manga, and I've always wanted to see it animated. But you know, it was like stuff like that. I I really liked, but I also felt like the tone was really off. Like it was confused yeah. by what it was trying to do. It's like, especially when, again, that first story arc. You know, it's great. It's a lot of fun, and then you get Ami's backstory, and it's it's very unsettling. It is. It's like. I don't want to see that kind of thing in this series. I mean, it's like, sure, you can get a good story out of that in a different franchise. But did, yeah, but but, yeah. but you're right. Did we really need it? And then if you're if you're if you're a victim of trauma like I am, again, I don't like to put my dirty I, I put my dirty laundry out there. I don't care at this point. But if you're a victim of trauma and you're watching that, it it, it, it is very unsettling. And it's like I'm watching mm-hmm. this like, oh, so. Ami's an abuse survivor as a child. I don't need this in my feel-good anime. I don't need this at all. Next episode, please. I mean, almost feels kind of exploitative. Yes. Exploitative. Exploitative. Um, Brian Fuller was the showrunner for Hannibal, and he did an interview I thought was really good where he talked about, like, um, he didn't want to do rape stuff in Hannibal or sexual assault stuff just because, not that that's completely inappropriate for fiction, but he's like, if you're going to have that then like do it justice to what that does to somebody use the bandwidth of what like uh the the emotional impact and like what that does and he talked about how svu is very exploitative how it's just like in and like 
um, th there's no room to actually explore what that does to a person. Where, like, for me, the one called Fujigomine is also about childhood sexual assault and trauma, but it's like told, um, it's graphic, but it's told in an adult way, in a serious and mature way about trauma. Whereas in Lupin, it's like she's trying to have sex with him, and there's a panty shot of her in the first episode, and it's almost played. I don't know if it's for laughs, and it's like if he's a responsible adult who's like 30, why is he keeping her around? Because she mm -hmm. can hack. He needs to, like, take her to CPS and leave her alone because she's messed up. And like you said, um, part five is supposed to be more of, like, a fun, almost shonen series, right? It's like adventure and there's assassins and political intrigue. And it, it fits a lot more in the one called Fujikomine, which is an avant-garde feminist series about trauma. It's like, if you're going to have something like that, do it right. Don't just have it. In, and like I said, it was her and then the princess falling in love with the older man, too. I was like, this is gross. This Very is inappropriate. And it's also in the same franchise as Cagliostro, where the whole thing is he's like, it's completely, it would be completely inappropriate for me to, to, to have any kind of feelings for this girl, right? Instead of like, I'll string Thank her you. along because she hacks good. It's weird. Yeah. Uh, I had that period where like, I was like, yeah, man, part five is really good. I like part five. And then I rewatched part five and thought more about it. I'm like, I had no, I really like the killers gathering the wasteland. I like a lot of the one-offs mm -hmm. and I love the second arc. That's about it. And everything else is just uncomfortable or just confused or just like sloppily written, especially the the fourth uh, arc. That was horrible. Like, that's just like mm -hmm. the, the, the moment between him and Fujiko is sweet when he takes off the mask. And there's like there's that ambiguous like moment of like, what could that mean? Like, that was sweet. But like, that's just a moment in isolation. The rest of it's just a hot mm -hmm. mess. And Enzo makes I don't even want to talk about Enzo. Enzo makes me mad. Enzo, you've he, got poor he's Ami. He's talked about it before. Oh, you've got poor Ami. I was Ami just like, they'd never get married. Why would you think they'd ever actually get married? Why was this? Why would Goemon turn on him? He's not that stupid. I was just like, my in my head, it's like, why did they do this? Why did they do this? Doesn't fit with, you know, even in a character, flexible characterization. I was just like, what? Yeah, like their attempts at character development for characters that are at, at that point almost over 50 years old. It's like, I see what they were trying to do, but did we really need it? Like, I, I've always felt with Lupin and the crew that I felt like in the years that we've got, we've had them with specials and OVAs, movies and series, there's enough character development that we don't need anymore. That I love that ambiguity between them that if you do want like actual character development, leave it to the fan fiction. And there's some really good fan fiction that has that write that writes the characters very well without the needed stuff part five tries to explain the relationships between lupon and his crew and at that point do we really need a full-on essay or explanation like i even felt i i felt it as almost kind of pandering like i felt it a little mm -hmm. bit with the recent with the episode zero of part six which was the farewell the kobayashi episode like it was enjoyable i loved it i love the the gay overtones but it kind of reminded me as, as to why i didn't like part five in the sense that i don't need any extra character development i don't need lupon and fujiko's relationship fully explained i don't need lupon and goemon's relationship fully explained i don't even need lupon and zenigata's relationship fully explained because it's tom and fucking jerry so but, but no Natalie, we need to understand every every single detail. We need we, we we need to know why why they're still together. We 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 need Spike 
the last one. We need Vicious and Julia to be in every episode of the Netflix Bebop so we can understand what their deal is. <laughs> we have to know. We have to know these things. We need. We, we I don't, have I don't... to know. We need three movies to explain Harry Potter backstory shit with John with no. Colin Farrell <laughs> turning into Johnny Depp turning into Mads Mikkelsen. We need to know these. The people want to know these these answers. It's necessary. No, I'll write it in my fan fiction. I'm good. I don't need it. Chris, what were you trying to say? Sorry, well, I was just I was just gonna say like like to me, part five felt like it was trying to like deconstruct the franchise, and then at the very end, kind of reconstruct it, but it kind of fails at the second part. I think. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, compare this to some American comics real quick. The uh, all right, any of you guys ever read a uh, Civil War, the Marvel event? Parts of it. I was okay. seeing the film. My favorite, way to des- <laughs> my favorite way to describe Civil War is it's a series of really cool scenes that are held together by long strings of stupidity. Mm-hmm. That's that's kind of how I feel about part five. It's like there's in, like during the main story arcs, like there's some really cool moments in there. It's just everything else around it that doesn't work. But at the same time, part five did a better job of what it set out to do than Green versus Red did. Because I think both of those were trying to do the same thing. Trying to celebrate the history of the franchise and also deconstruct it and examine it. And I'll give Part 5 that. It did a better job of it than Green vs. Red did. Yeah, but I feel like Part 5 may have may have benefited from a random mech. Just <laughs> Green vs. Red swung through the fences so aggressively. It is the most confusing thing I ever watched. Um there's a Doc Cameron quote I really like where he says, like, I can take a beautiful vision and I can take a giant flaming disaster, but mediocrity is just terrible, right? At least Green versus Red is a giant flaming terrible disaster. It's like they tried to make a Satoshi Ko movie and failed. But I'm glad I watched it. I'm glad that it, like, exists, right? At least that happened. <laughs> it's not good. It's very confusing and weird. And that little boy with his brain, whatever was happening. But um, at least they were able to do something truly strange with it. Instead of just like, here's a 14 year old girl who's like traumatized and very much like neurodivergent, like autistic coded, and she's a hacker mm-hmm. and she's constantly trying to have sex. It's like, why? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I always forget about the little blonde boy in Green versus Red till, till I rewatch it and I'm like, oh yeah, this is a thing. <laughs> is brain implanted in nuclear stuff? I don't even understand why. <laughs> I've only seen it once. My favorite line reading from that guy who's randomly speaking English in it, son. Will you die for me? And it's like, what? <laughs> what is, what's going on? Dad, I'm sorry. I don't speak English. What? <laughs> I, uh, I will never forget, though, the, the funny thing of like the product placement that it did have. Because <laughs> when I rewatched it not too long ago, like maybe a couple of months ago with Maria, after I got it from um, Discotech. Um, Maria and I were just looking at the McDonald's bags and we were like, I remember those bags in the late 2000s. I'm like, sadly, I do too. And I don't even eat McDonald's anymore. So, <laughs> but, um, God, isn't it? Go ahead. I was just going to say, like, bringing it back around to part six. Yeah, I feel like part six is doing a lot of the same stuff part five did in that, in like how it was, you know, advertised and presented. Because I'll be honest, I was not really feeling that. That, for, that teaser poster or the, uh, you know, little teaser trailer they did because it felt very edgy and grim. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, 
I was just afraid that it was just going to be everything I disliked about Part 5. But it hasn't been. I mean, it's, it's got its problems, but I, I'm enjoying it more than I did Part 5. Well, I do have the one question for some of us who, some of you guys who probably did watch Part 5 as it was coming out. Do you guys remember the advertisements at all for Part 5? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How was it advertised? Because I wasn't keeping up at that point. So the initial trailer for it um, uh, really hyped up the first arc, like the people log, shake hands thing. And like, it, if I'm not mistaken, the first trailer was just footage from the first episode. That was it. It was all like the chase, all like on the airstrip. It it even spoiled the last line of the episode where he's like, so everyone's a cop, huh? And then like, so that's how the trailer ends. So they really hyped up that aspect. They hyped up the Albert Lupin thing because that first poster yeah. was like them walking side by side. I've seen that Albert's- one. I remember that. Yeah, I have that poster, by the way. Oh, nice. It's it's in my kitchen. I'll take a photo. <laughs> it was Albert specifically having a belt buckle that also had an L on it, which caused mm-hmm. people to go crazy. And we all thought, hey, they're going to really dive deep into this guy, Albert, and his like, you know, his backstory, Lupin. We're going to take a deep dive into... Nope. Nope. It's kind of the exact same thing that's happening with part six. And I was, I was going to mention mm-hmm. them, uh, how Chris brought back around topic. Man, it's pretty damning of this episode that we would rather talk about part five <laughs> and green versus red in the Kawike <laughs> films than what just aired. <sighs> but also the reason why I ask about the advertisements is I wonder if that if recently that has been a thing. Like they hype up one aspect of it and then they hype up another. Because again, they hyped up for however long it was in, in terms of concluding it, Lupin versus Sherlock Holmes and all this other stuff. And now they're bringing it to Lupin and these mysterious women. So it's like, I don't know. Someone needs to get in touch with TMS and really work on in with their advertising department because it's, you know, it's becoming baffling at this point that a beloved franchise that that plays off camp and does have moments of grittiness, but it's not overt um, would advertise it in this such a manner and then leave us leave us wanting to rather talk about part five and how much we can diss on it than how shitty this episode actually was. And I'm not even as, and I'm not even a Zenigata Stan. Like, well, I was I, suffering. I was suffering. Watching that episode. I love Zenigata. He's my favorite. Yeah, no, but like I mentioned earlier before we didn't record that, um, the Abbey Rhodey, Lauren, who's a mm-hmm. who's the biggest Zenigata stand you'll she's ever fantastic. meet on. Yeah, she's adorable. Like, you know, she's the biggest Zenigata stand you'll ever meet. She does a lot of fan art of Zenigata and her OC. And I watched it the second time with her and Aficionados Chris on their server, uh, um, his server. And I watched it with them and, and a couple of their friends. And the moment that reveal came out, her audible, fuck you, made us kind of <laughs> giggle. But again, I was like, I, I feel you, girl. I feel you. And I'm not even a Zenigatistan. I feel you. <laughs> she even did a fan art defending him from the episode. Her fan art of that was wonderful. <laughs> I'm thinking this whole thing with the uh, misleading uh, promotional material, I think it's just kind of like a... Uh, you know, like a like a Lupin thing in general. Oh yeah, I, I forgot your term. Your old Lupin and your new Pond. Uh, classic. <laughs> Not blue Pond, which they did call it, but they can't anymore. <laughs> because, like, I recall, uh, you know, part four kind of leading into the whole uh, wedding thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, with 
with the trailer and all that. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just like a just a modern anime thing in general. I don't know. I don't watch a whole lot of modern anime. Me neither. From a production point of view, it could also just be that's all they have at the time mm-hmm. when they have to start yeah. getting yeah, promo material out, especially this one with Corona. Yeah, and everything just being kind of a mess. I don't know. It's not a really good excuse because it is misleading advertising, and it could just be cynical. What can we do to like grab attention, even if it's not relevant? But mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, we could we could sit here and th- and think that like, yeah, Corona messed up a lot of things and messed up a lot of stuff in production. But I don't want to blame I don't want to blame the virus for everything. I don't want to blame the virus for how shitty um, <laughs> this episode was and how very slow paced um the series has been because that's you know corona didn't write this <laughs> no <laughs> yeah and, and on the same note I feel, I feel kind of bad about knocking the animation earlier because i know how hard it is you know for you know anime studios and mm-hmm. you know the terrible conditions that you know the animators are in so but it's like you know with the what was it, uh, the second episode how I, it's like, it, it looked fine. And, and like I said, I, I just feel bad about, you know, mocking the animators for it because they probably did do the best they could with what they had. Mm-hmm. Are, are we true. talking about, again, about the CGI cars? Uh, yes. <laughs> and, but I just keep, I just keep thinking back to this week and, and Lupin's hand just sliding around as he, as he wobbles. Yeah. It's like that clip from the uh, the I mean, Berserk reboot a, it, of Guts walking away. <laughs> yeah, that got. But also, like going back to that, did they did they just not figure out how to animate people struggling over a gun? Because even like Watson struggling with a gun with the assailant was like, ugh, it just didn't look right. It looked like two kids fighting over a toy. More than a guy trying to fight for his life. Like, and again, I don't want to diss animators at all. Like, animators in Japan have it bad enough as it is. But on top of the Harkarbahe that was the writing, we get, you know, we get these little scenes. It it doesn't look right. Doesn't TMS also animate the Koike specials? Isn't it all the same studio? And those always look really good. Like, the animated fight scenes. I think that's Studio Telecom who does those. Mm. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, because uh, Telecom is specifically not animating this season. It was it's someone else. I think it's the team who did, or it's some some of the same people. If I'm not mistaken, I could be talking on my ass, but if I remember reading somewhere that's like the same crew behind Prison of the Past, and possibly Goodbye mm. Partner. If I'm not mistaken, because I think Telecom's busy doing something else. Because Telecom did Part Four, and I thought Part Four looked awesome. I really yeah. liked Part Four. The, the animation thought, on that was very crisp. The line width variation and the oh, I yes. thought the colors were kind of like taken from like illuminated manuscripts or like Renaissance paintings because it's set mm-hmm. in Italy. I thought it was a really cool motif yeah. and everything yeah. looked really nice. I liked all the side characters. I just remember how much I like part four side characters. Yep. It was exciting watching it when Nyx was hulking out. Remember that? Oh my oh, god. Nyx is fun. Rebecca's fun. Robson with his uh, rocket launcher and you slowly realize it's evil Da Vinci. Oh how God. fun that was to watch Lupin. <laughs> For me, that was just a few months ago, too. I didn't watch that when it came out. It's like, wow, this is awesome. And then I started part five. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's been a think- thing with me because I watched part four. Um, I caught it halfway through its simulcast on Crunchyroll, which that was so exciting because that's mm-hmm. from the Da Vinci stuff because I caught up really quick. So like experiencing like the buildup to 
butt naked Da Vinci showing up and like flying around, <laughs> which while yeah. he was kind of which while, while he was kind of a boring character, at least it was like Gonzo, where you're like it's fucking Leonardo Da Vinci like on a flying machine, and Lupin's just hanging on for dear life, and then he like starts fighting all the different people. But like w- w- even when like the trailer for Part Five came out, and when I was watching it, I, I, I hate to say this, but like visually and animation wise. Ever since part four, the mainline series anyway, not like the Kweka movies and something like Prison of the Past look pretty good, but the mainline series have kind of degraded with each one visually. I, I, I like how part six looks a little bit more than part five because part five's very soft line work. I don't like that because it looks like I'm oh, watching it. like it's like it's like I'm watching a DVD and then I realize my Blu-ray's in the player and I'm like, oh, whoops. Well, I'm, uh, <laughs> um I like the sharper line work in part six. It reminds me like a bit of part four, but it's just like, it's like a a shadow of what part four was. I just want part four for y'all. I think them losing Kazuhiri Tomonaga as a chief director was a big mistake because he had been around the franchise since Cagliostro and the Fuma conspiracy Mm. and the part two episodes. He was like, um, uh, I think he he might have been involved in some of the part one episodes. I'm not sure. He was the chief director along with them. Uh, I forgot what his first name was, but Yano, who co-directed part four and then solely directed part five. I don't know. I feel like losing him was kind of a mistake because now it's just. I don't know. That that would explain why part four feels. Yeah, you know, like a return to form, like so much like you know, classic Lupin the Third that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that part five and six kind of lacking. That would make sense. Hey, at least the first was really good. <laughs> uh, the first was really good. <laughs> that was all. Yeah. It feels like a totally separate <laughs> animal, but it's like at least the character designs. In I didn't like the story that much, but God, the character designs were perfect. Character animation. The story I was, like, was... Oh, so good. Yeah, the story was it was okay. It's Lupin. I don't at this point. I don't expect anything grandeur. (laughs) It was like an okay TV special, but it looked fucking gorgeous. So you're like, I I, I, yeah. You can let I let the plot slide if you like. If you get this much eye candy, but then when you got part six, you're just kind of like, this doesn't look that great, and uh, it's not playing out that great. It's like Goodbye Partner, and Prison of the Past gave me some hope because I I think Prison of the Past is vastly superior. To goodbye partner. Oh, it's fantastic. It's fun. I love Prison of the Past has a great character moment for everybody. Like when they're all yep. standing around with Yata and they all run. And oh my so God. it's like it's so good. <laughs> it's so funny. Prison of the Past honestly is one of the better specials for uh, better television specials to come out of the franchise in 15 years, honestly. And 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 Absolutely. and I love, you know, I do love some of the specials. They have some of the most wonderful character arcs and some of the most wonderful stories. Some of them, not all of them. But it's been a while since I've seen a good special. And here comes Prison of the Past to take my cheesecake and be like, "You missed me." Note to self: Watch Prison of the Past. Oh, it's great! Uh, it's so, so fun. Oh, I really you, liked it. If you want to do a stream, Chris, let me know. I, I don't got plans this weekend. <laughs> uh, I think I do, unfortunately. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm going to continue the thread of us talking about anything but the episode but man Prison of the Past was so cool because it, it had all those extra side characters but they were actually like fun like you had Dynamite Joe like they felt like they were manga characters but they're not actually manga characters I love Dynamite Joe 
and the uh, homoerotic subtext with Jigen. He calls him babe in the dub. I was yeah. like, in the, in the Japanese version, he calls him baby in English. He's like this giant American guy who Lupin hates. And it's like, you know, the fans subtext, like, oh, it's one of Jigen's exes. He's this giant American guy. He's like, I'm dying of my Joe and I blow stuff up. And I'm like, I love you. Please stay around uh, forever. So the weird owl guy. I don't remember his oh, name. Yeah. And the brothers oh, with the rope. The guy dog. with like the 20 masks. Yeah. And he's like, oh, the weird. I don't know what's going, what the subtext is with him, but I thought he was. The villains are really boring, but the rest of it is like really fun. And the, like you said, like every single character gets something interesting that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't disrespect Zinni. It's got a great Zinni goddess scene that I won't spoil. Um, yeah, it's so good. Um, and without spoiling anything, me as being the opera nerd, because um, I had seen, um, I haven't been out that much because of COVID, but um, as San Francisco Opera had been streaming um, recently, their, um, their um, whatever they've been showing recently, and a couple, about a month ago was um, Ludwig van Beethoven's only opera, Fidelio, which is set in a prison. And I had watched that at home and then only a couple weeks later to watch Prison of the Past. And my dumb ass was just sitting here thinking, did, did the writers of, of this special watch Fidelio? Because um, there is a lot of like plot points taken from Fidelio, but no cross-dressing. So, yeah. <laughs> Missed opportunity for this franchise. That's funny. I, that's why I'm writing. That's why I'm doing a fan fiction of it, <laughs> of, of just a, of just a girl cross dressing as a man and as a cop to get into a prison. And I don't know, Lupin can see through it because he's gay as fuck. And it's like, well, he's pan. I see him as pan. So, uh, and on that oh. note, oh. so I guess to sum it up, uh, I think the best way to word it is current state of uh, part six can best be described as <laughs> so that's the current state of part six at the moment i mean any final thoughts anybody i mean i didn't think this episode was that bad i mean i thought it was okay and i'm still enjoying part six as a whole i well, mean yeah this is probably this is probably the weakest episode of the series so far but it's, mm-hmm. i've seen worse in the <laughs> totes piggybacking off that i totes agree but for me it's more like this was heart garbage i understand the ire and i liked episode four like i liked the Ernest hemingway episode and that was the episode that that yeah that everybody was just like loathing everyone was just like i don't want to watch lupon anymore because of this episode and it's like really that was your breaking point that was your breaking point not this episode this episode wasn't your breaking point okay different folks different folks different strokes i get it so, anyone else got final thoughts? Nelly, what what are your favorite Lupin fan fictions that I should read? Oh my goodness! Maybe <laughs> the uh, top three. Oh God! Oh, you don't them... have to answer that. Uh, <laughs> just since we were avoiding talking about the episode, I was curious what your favorites were. Well, my favorites, honestly, some of them are not on AO3. Most of them were on fanfiction.net, and some of them are still there. My favorite one, honestly, has to be where where Fujiko decides to marry a Chicago mafia boss. And this mafia boss has ties to Jian's past. And why, you know, going back with the old trope, there was like this old fan, this old theory that stemmed from the manga that Daisuke Jigen might not be his real name. It might be an mm-hmm. alias. And... Yeah, it 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 felt it piggybacked off that trope, and 
yes, there was some internalized misogyny with the hate on Fujiko, but it was just such a good fan fiction that I I read it as the author was updating it and I was just like this this is this is good. <laughs> this is really good. <laughs> you should link it to me. That sounds good. Yeah, if I find it, I will totally send it to you. Dig it up out of the archives. Yeah, just go back on my old fanfiction.net account, which I still update, by the way. So, <laughs> I guess so we're so da- we're so downtrodden. But how will? But the question is now, Drew, will Guillaume save us from from this? I, I'm curious to because he's not recorded his segment for, as of this moment. I have not heard it, but with the magic of editing, I'm uh, about to find out how he feels about the episode uh, right about now. <laughs> Hello again, Lopantic folks, and welcome back to Tea Time. It might have only been a week since our last review, but so much has happened since then. I, for one, have completed my yearly revolution around the globe, and I am now officially 30 years old. This means you are allowed to call me old, and I am allowed to complain about youngsters in return. But enough about me. Welcome back to Jolly Old London. Episode 7 gently takes us back to the Holmes arc, and while not a lot has changed on the surface, Lupin's first return did have an effect. Holmes is back on solving murder cases, and to show his dedication, he shaved. Always remember, folks, when a scruffy character shaves their beard, it means they got their mojo back. We see him resolving a murder case with a lot of style, not unlike Detective Conan, with the murderer confronted to his own stratagem. But Holmes getting back on track means our police characters feel ineffective somewhat, and that includes Lestrade, Zanigata and Yatta, who drown their sadness in wine and booze. An assassin armed with the weirdest effing weapon I've seen in a while, is set to kill anyone close to Holmes and or Lupin. We see Albert being targeted in the beginning before the assassin aims at Holmes' window. Thankfully, Lupin and Zenigata manage to chase him off to the cemetery. The assassin turns out to be none other than Sebastian Moran. And who is Moran, I hear you ask? Well, none other than Moriarty's lieutenant in the original Holmes novels by Conan Doyle. At the simple mention of his name, I had to repress a squeal. This meant that Moriarty was now part of the narrative. Moriarty is Holmes' main arch-nemesis, a professor that acts like a spider controlling a web of organized crime. Him and Holmes supposedly died in the falls of Reichenbach in Switzerland in the final problem. Well, until Conan Doyle was forced by his editor and fans to resurrect Holmes. You see, people? Toxic fandom was already a thing in the 19th century. My, we haven't learned. Back to the episode. We learned that, as I theorized, Lupin wants Lily to get her memories back so she can finally grow and evolve as a person instead of being stuck. Lupin has always worked as a revelatory agent. He shakes things up in order for things to reach their normal and healthy conclusion. Holmes was too caught up in protecting Lily from the Black Raven that his protectiveness became a burden, 
both for Lily and himself. As it turns out, the Zenigata that Lupin was talking with while chasing Moran was a disguised Sherlock Holmes, who took the time to actually listen to Lupin and make a truce, at least in regards of Lily. I will not address the social media uproar that this episode created, because I think it's utterly pointless, but I personally liked that development. I must remind you that in the original Leblanc novels, Arsène Lupin's rivalry with Herlock Sholmes ended in tragedy. So I feel like this truce between their descendants was like a reparation of some sort. These two characters are intelligent and sensible people behind their roles as thief and detective. It feels like a mature take on the franchise for them to make peace. As an aside, I laughed my ass off when we saw that Mrs. Hudson was guarding Lily's room while armed to the teeth with an arsenal that would make an American libertarian self-conscious. It fits with Holmes' talent for predicting his enemy's moves and also felt like a good old-fashioned monkey-punch gag. We also see how Watson met his fate in a flashback, revealing he put himself in between the Raven's executioner and an accomplice. We realize that the executioner was not willing to shoot Watson and the bullet was fired in the midst of fighting. The executioner's eyes seemed shocked more than angry. And Lupin and Holmes' conversation hints at the possibility that the executioner is someone that Holmes and Watson knew. And that's where we must put out our crazy speculation goggles and run wild with theories. Earlier in the episode, we see Lestrade wait for Lily after school and gently asking how Holmes and her are doing. And that's where it hit me. Lestrade's actions, while seemingly innocent at first, seem to reflect a plotting mind. Where did the executioner first appear in episode 1? Inside Scotland Yard, where Lestrade was present. Who was wounded in the midst of the explosion? Agent Buckingham from the MI6, which Lestrade does not seem to like. What was Lestrade doing in the dark room? You might say he was simply investigating, but still. And he spontaneously asks Zenigata for his collaboration so he does not become a hindrance. Remember that I found Lestrade to be a bit too gun-happy while chasing Lupin in episode 1 and 2. Finally, Lestrade insists that he is the only one to know the truth about what happened to Watson when he was talking with Holmes in episode 2. Now, I didn't have any proof and I think the series will keep a lot of clues secret until the final reveal, but what if Lestrade was indeed the Raven's executioner? Of course, we might wonder about Lestrade's motif. Protecting the Raven's interests? Probably, if we accept that the Raven is still active. But if it isn't, maybe Lestrade's motive is more personal. A policeman whose work has always been cut out by Holmes, belittled by the snobby MI6, probably not getting paid much as a cop. It might all boil down into social frustration and envy. A treasure as legendary as the Ravens, capable to take over a country, would be quite the turnover. Again, this is just speculation on my part, but if we must find the Raven's executioner's identity among Holmes' acquaintances, there are not a lot of options left. And now Moriarty enters the scene. If Moran is to be believed, 
The Raven is practically finished and the British crime scene will soon change, with Moriarty's syndicate at the top. Are the Executioner and Moriarty in cahoots? Or are they enemies? And if so, who will Lupin and Holmes help? This is all very thrilling, but with only six episodes left in the Holmes arc, including a Jigen-focused standalone, how will the series manage to make it all fit together? One last observation is that I find it interesting that Kiyoshi Kobayashi retired from the role of Jigen for this series, considering he voiced Professor Moriarty in Detective Conan Movie 6. Now, Kobayashi officially retired, so I highly doubt he would voice a character that is not Jigen inside a Lupin the Third production, but still, it's a fun amusing to have. Next week, Jigen takes first stage in a guest-written episode, possibly the last one of that first half for the series. It will take place three years in the past. My guess is that Jigen will act as a secret protector to Lily, showing he has his own way of doing things. That is all for me, Lupantic folks. As you can see, the mystery is only deepening, and we must keep our minds sharp. You can find me on Twitter at William Barbet. B-A-B-E-Y, on Deventart and ArtStation as Shin Red Deer, S-H-I-N-R-E-D-D-E-A-R, and you can even commission me or send me a tip on my coffee, also under Shin Red Deer. Until we meet again, stay safe, stay warm, and remember, life is too short to hold grudges, even between gentlemen thieves and super sleuths. Wow, is that timing or what? <laughs> what a fascinating perspective that I definitely just heard. I hadn't considered any of that. Oh my goodness, I feel I feel like I've just been enlightened. Like it's a new renaissance for my views of opinions. But that still doesn't change the fact how hard Garbar hey this episode was. <laughs> I'm 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 kind of shocked. Like yesterday, I was like I, I was pretty I was okay with it, and I'm being a little I, I sound harsh to them. Like I actually, I'm like I I'm still looking forward to part like the rest of part six. I didn't hate it. Like it's gonna take a lot more for me of that. Like I hope it can bring itself back. Maybe the next episode's gonna rule. Maybe the second half's gonna be cool. Like I literally went from like being like this like bright eyed like like you know it's not that bad. It's okay to literally just becoming like Mike Staclasa for anyone who knows, just like sitting on the couch, just like. Dare staring off mm. into space, hopeless. I don't know. I, I guess the, the, my final thought would be it was an okay episode, but I'm just kind of coming to terms with the fact that, like, I don't want my Lupin to just be okay or like that was fine. I want, like, mm-hmm. and once again, I'm continuing the thread. Like, you remember the end of Fujiko's Lie? When that reveal happens, I'm not going to spoil it because it's relatively new. But when there's that scene in the office and that character shows up. Oh, yeah. I haven't had that level of excitement in in any of part six so far. Like, like just nothing's reaching that level. And it kind of bums me out. And like, I don't know. Maybe it maybe it can pull like something off. But my, my expectations are like kind of lowered i'm looking forward to it he said not convincingly at all (laughs) it's like guys you can't tell from my face but i am looking forward to the rest of this
<sighs> I'll watch it. I'm paying for high dive. Uh, yeah, that's the that's the only thing that I hate about that. It's like I'm paying for high dive. I'm pro- I'm not che- I'm not very cheap, but I'm getting there. So it's like I might as well get my money's worth and just watch it. At least I'm supporting, you know, I'm supporting people like Zoe the Nine Thousand who's um, translating it and and working so hard to bring us that stuff. Um, so I'll keep watching it. I'm not going to be as enthusiastic as I was or as optimistic, but I'll watch it. It's Lupin. I'm still thankful as an as an 18 year old Lupin fan. Um, eight, as in 18 years, not that I'm 18 years old. I'm going to turn. <laughs> I'm going to turn 31 in 19 days. By the way, my birthday is December 18th. Wig wig nudge nudge. <laughs> um, but <laughs> but Amazon I'm, wish list is in the show notes. <laughs> yes, I'm kidding. No. Um, but I literally feel like I'm that Pablo Escobar meme right now. Just that meme of like, you know, him, him just sitting, contemplating, wandering. And I'm just like, uh, or just like that kid who's like, I'll eat these chicken nuggies. Yes, they're cold and they tasted good ones, but I'm hungry. So that's what I'll equate it to. Last week we were thirsty. This week we're hungry. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, um, we want to thank again for Shannon to join us, even if most of the talk did go on tangents of other aspects we did enjoy of <laughs> the franchise and not just the episode. So it was thank very you. fun. Thank you for having me on. Yes. My favorite thing uh, to do. Yes. Thank you. So on that note, since you are the guest, where can we find you? What are your plugs? You can find me on Twitter at Plenty of Alcoves. Uh, you can find my review on YouTube if you look up Strucci movies. That's S T R U C C I. I have a lot of video essays on like parasocial relationships and film theory, history, horror theory. I'm a player on the Teenage Superhero Body Horror Podcast, Critical Bits at Critical Bitcast. I'm the film correspondent for Struggle Session at Struggle Sesh, and I'm a host of Fight Together on the One Piece Podcast, like a special mini series that we do. So I do a lot of stuff. And if you're in the Southeast, I do conventions. I panel at cons when there's not a pandemic. I only did a couple in the past, like, two years, you know. Um, but hopefully I'll be doing more of those next year. Maybe anime cons. We'll see. Maybe a Lupin panel. I would love to do that. I need to. Uh, I need to get it out. <laughs> it's like exercise. We do that. Maybe if I keep talking about it, I'll be less obsessed with it. You know how it goes. It doesn't help. <laughs> um, but yeah, before, yeah, so there's, yeah, I, I live in Georgia, so we have, like, Momocon and AWA and a bunch of stuff down here, so I don't even have to go that far. Hey, you're not that far from Drew. <laughs> hey. Nice. <laughs> if you want to find me, I'm on Twitter at Kathleen Helsing. That's C-A-P-L-I-H-E-L-L-S-I-N-G. You can find me on the Insta or the Grams, as the kids call it. I got a couple Grams and I ain't talking about these crackers. No. <laughs> um, at Captain, C-A-P-T-A-I-N-L-I-H-E-L-L-S-I-N-G. That's where you can find me. Drew, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at DrewHunter15. That's a D-R-E-W-H-U-N-T-E-R-1-5. I just tweet about movies and anime sometimes. Nothing spectacular. So that, and that's pretty much me. I'm uh, Chris, where can we find you? Yeah. Um, I'm on Twitter at Dr. Furball. You know, D-R-F-U-R-B-A-L-L. Um, I'm on Instantaneous Grandmother, as well as uh, Newgrounds and a few other places at, at Amazing Chris Godby. That's a G-O-D-B-E-Y. 
And I have a webcomic, uh, Weird in a Can, at weirdinacan.com. And also on that note, you can find the podcast. I'm pretty sure you know where to find us. But if you don't know, first of all, how did you find us? <laughs> it's being broadcast somewhere. <laughs> yeah, but you can, yeah, but you can find us uh, at on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, and of course on SoundCloud. And, you know, give us a like, give us a comment, tell us how we're doing. And you can also find our tweets and our so our tweets at Lupon Pod and our Insta at the same place, Lupon Pod. Did I do that right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> ah. Ah. Oh boy. So on on that sad side note, sad side note. <laughs> oh my god hanging out with these assholes has taught me to do dad jokes (laughs) hey hold on i'm not an asshole i'm a jackass get it right (laughs) (laughs) and on that sad note we'll see you next time lupontic folks (laughs) bye bye Sideburns and cigarettes. Revolver fires. Let it go.